Welcome to the Loss and Lifting Talk podcast. The show is created to help you find your confidence by breaking down the complicated science of training and nutrition and turning it into simple, but more importantly, practical solutions that you can implement right away to start creating real results inside your body composition. We don't stop there either. We dive into the mental aspect of fitness to not only build a better body, but a better life all around. Podcasts were the medium where I learned and grew as an individual more than any other place in my life. The goal of this podcast is to give that back to you to start building the exact body and life that you know you're capable of. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode. Alex, what's going on, man? Not a whole lot. Finished up my morning gym routine, came home, had my second kind of breakfast post-gym, and now I'm here on the podcast. How are you? I'm good, dude. It's been a long time since we've done this. What It's been, well, I guess like two years. I was looking back to when was the last time I've been on here with anybody, and I believe it was October or November of 2021. So feels a little weird. Like you almost get a little jittery at first. It's like, oh, like just finding your groove back into to recording live. But but yeah. Yeah, I was going to say definitely over a year, I think. Um, got the high heart rate, got the increased body temp. So I think that just means we're ready to get going. And I think the first few are always a little bit kind of, you're always a little nervous coming in, but yeah, happy to have the podcast back up and running. Yeah, me too. Me too. How's um, how's your training and your nutrition going these days? I know back before we talked about it, but obviously that was a long time ago. But what what is that currently looking like for you, just in regards to to like goals and like what you're focused on in the gym, what you're focused on with your nutrition, or is it something like you're just kind of maintaining at the moment, or is it something that is still as big of a priority as it was with um, structure and whatnot? So as much as I love the structure of everything, I believe last time we talked and kind of went into this on the podcast, I was doing coaching with Cody from the N1 team. Yeah, I remember. Um, Just the level of detail they get into training has always just really been interesting to me. Um, But since, I guess, this kind of over the course of the last year, not to say that I've put working out on the back burner by any means, but I've shifted more of my focus into the business aspect of things, just kind of spending more time there, um, just kind of developing and just, I have found that over the years, I've taken a lot of courses. I have a lot of kind of like knowledge built up. So I'd say I've been prioritizing like how can I actually not just learn the information, but actually utilize it in how I coach. And kind of as a result, um, I still do structured training. I actually follow Paragon's um four day gym like full physique. I'm not who, sure. I mean, I'm who is the guy behind Paragon? Brian Borstein. I yeah, I like Brian. Transferred over. So I, I don't think he was originally with Paragon. I'm not sure when he joined. I could be totally wrong. Um, but I just really enjoy the way they program. Um, they go into very high level detail of kind of like how, how to be performing lifts, how much kind of intensity to be using for each different lift. So you could say like, I'm still training. What's the word I'm looking for? Like with intent. Yeah. It's just, I'm not doing any of like the actual thought behind it. I show up, I read what to do. I read the kind of the points of performance for the movements. And I go in, I train, I train hard and I come back home and I just kind of focus on the recovery aspect. And this, like I said earlier, 
the actual kind of business and just kind of seeing how can I implement the things that I've learned versus just learning them to learn them. Yeah. There's something powerful behind that as well. I think that like, just for like the average fitness enthusiast, like when they talk to other coaches and, and whatnot, like they think they'd all have it, they have it all figured out and they handle everything on their own. But like, even for myself, I, my training that I follow, um, at the, at the moment, like I'm following Renaissance periodizations, um, training from uh, Mike Israel and running the app that they currently have. And even like for me, like I work with other clients, a lot of lady clients who are coaches themselves, and they have me that's completely programming their nutrition, completely programming their training for them because it takes out that personal bias. And like, it just gives you a structure to go in and follow along to that one gives you kind of a different perspective of how other people are are doing it, which can help kind of manipulate and improve the way that you go about it for yourself with, with clients that you're working with as well. Um, but just being able to take that stress off because like personally, it's so easy. At least I find this with myself, especially in training and with nutrition. Like when I'm coaching myself through it, like it, I'm much more likely to make decisions based off of emotion as opposed to what's like logical and makes the best sense for me long-term. Um, so then just having some structure from somebody else with like an unbiased perspective helps a ton, regardless of how much knowledge you have. And I think that's something it's important for um, the listeners as well. Like, obviously we've introduced you on the podcast a bunch of times, but for anybody that doesn't know Alex, He's um, a lost and lifting coach. He works with me and works with one-to-one clients as well as he works within um, the group training that we do for for ladies only. And I'll get into the the details of that at some point on the podcast as well, because it's something that we just launched a, a few months ago. But um, what are your... So explain your credentials on here, because honestly, he has far more credentials than I do. So just to give the listeners like an idea like of, of who they're listening to, obviously, like where... Where did you start? What are your credentials and and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, so I'll say I started, I think, in the same place as pretty much 99% of other trainers, assuming like they're in the United States, given if you're across the world, the certifications may be a little bit different. Um, but I started as a NASM coach, which is similar to just like the Amy ISSA, <laughs> the ACE coaching certification, just kind of like whatever could get me hired at a gym, I got it. So right out of high school, did that, got certified, started personal training, skip past like the boring part of kind of doing like my ACE orthopedic exercise specialist, just kind of like certifications to keep my NASM like active. It wasn't until 2021, I'd say that I got like my first legit like certification that I actually take and apply things from. And that was actually, I guess, when COVID first kind of started coming around. Um, So I had a lot of time to study, needless to say. So I started off with Sam Miller's functional nutrition and metabolism specialization. I've been going strong with that since I joined that program in 2021. It used to just be like a 12-week program you'd go through, and then you could kind of just like choose what you wanted to do afterward. Um, But it's actually built into a really nice like continuing and like ongoing piece of education to where it's we do live case studies, you know, through the weeks. There's still content being added. And so that's been an ongoing thing. I did the N1 certification with Coach Kassam and his guys. 
Um, I have taken, I believe, each one of their certs. I'm not sure if they added a new one within the past year, but up until last year, everything they had available did that. And then I did some work with Mark Coles. Um, I think he's actually based maybe in Europe, maybe in like UK or somewhere around there. Um, but that was kind of more of like a business as opposed to like coaching. And then last but not least, now I am currently enrolled in Casey Joe's health mindset coaching certification that actually just started last week. So that's my like current cert that I'm working my way through. But yeah, so I've kind of gotten the nutrition side, the training side, now the mindset side, and it's just all been super, super fascinating to learn from some of the smartest brains in the industry, I'd kind of say. Yeah, I would agree. And even before all of like the certifications and stuff, what did you go to school for? Because you have a bachelor's degree, correct? Oh, yeah. That's I probably the most important. Well. <laughs> See, I, I asked I you that. and I was expecting you to like start with that and you went into all of the certifications. But I mean, the one that most coaches honestly don't have is what you have. You didn't even mention it. Yeah. The bachelor's of exercise science, um, just from a local college here, um, where I live in Missouri, but yeah, I do have my bachelor's degree as well. I did go for a semester in my master's program for functional nutrition, but truthfully, I just really enjoyed that kind of more like mentorship type coaching more, which is why I decided to kind of stick with Sam and like his courses and his education versus sticking it through with like a master's program. Not that like one is better or one is like more correct. It's just, that's the way I enjoy learning. And so that's what I've stuck with. I would go as far as saying, I think that one is, is better than the other. And just because I have experience with it as well, I think you're probably just being kind of nice. And I know that you're super smart and like, you probably understood that. Okay. Going under guys, like actually in the industry that have credible knowledge and are like doing this stuff on a day-to-day basis, as opposed to just like teachers that their profession is teaching you the process as opposed to somebody who is doing the process daily, right? And then teaching you what they're learning in the actual field. I would argue what you've learned going that route as opposed to sticking out the masters. I'm not saying that school is is bad by any means, but I think that that was a very smart choice to be like, okay, I'm going to go where this is going to be like most applicable. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And I definitely don't want to like anger any teachers out there because there are absolutely great teachers out there who make learning very very fun but I think I kind of lost my hope when we were learning about hypertrophy training and exercise science class and the teacher was like you know what I love having my clients do stand on one leg on a BOSU ball and do like bicep curls yeah I was just kind of like do I really want to take my advice from this person probably not um and that's kind of was my realization of just maybe that's a bit outdated information she's using and some teachers stay up to date and I love that while others is just kind of like okay I learned this 20 years ago let me just like repeat what I learned 20 years ago yeah so 100%. there's the good there's the bad but I think that's also in any profession you could say the same thing there's great coaches and there's probably also some horrible coaches out there 
Yeah, I would agree 100%. And I had a very similar experience. When I was going to college, I was going um, into business management because I grew up in an entrepreneur type family. My grandpa was an entrepreneur and my dad kind of followed in his footsteps and and worked in the, the family business. Um, and that's kind of where I was headed as well. We owned gas stations. Um, and I was in school essentially for business management to, cause my future looked like I was going to end up taking over those gas stations one day. And like, as I was going to school for six, seven, eight hours per day at then at the same time, working in the gas stations just a little bit and not very hands-on with it. Um, and as the summers would come around and I would work in the gas stations, um, full time as we were in school, I was just realizing that, man, like I was learning so much more being in the day-to-day grind of a business and like seeing the back end of it and how it's actually ran as opposed to sitting in a class through lectures that most of it was irrelevant to what I was wanting to do. And so I actually ended up getting to the point where I was like, I feel like I'm just kind of wasting my 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 time and my money and my resources here. Like I could just go fully dive myself into that business um, and learn so much more about entrepreneurship, about running business, the finances of it, the logistics, handling employees, having relationships with other vendors, the B2B side of things um, that I ended up dropping out and just immersing myself into that, which helped me build the tools that then allowed me to end up opening my own gym, starting my own personal training business, going online and like building that foundation of actual entrepreneurship. So sure, there's a point in time, I think that school is very important. And I, I maybe have a little bit more of an extreme, I guess, stance on this, but like, in my opinion, and from my experience is like, okay, if you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer or something of like, that requires you to, to go to school and get those degrees to get to where you want to go in your career, like at the end of the day, is it truly necessary or would you be better off at a younger age immersing yourself into that industry and spending your your time and your resources there learning from like credible people that are in the grind day to day and actually up to date with whatever that industry is that you're in? Um, it's an interesting conversation. I know people will go back and forth and have different perspectives and your perspective is probably a little different than mine because you stuck out school and did it. And now you have that degree, which is extremely credible and which a lot of people don't have. And so I I think it just depends like from an entrepreneur standpoint, I don't think that it's super necessary, but like, if you're going to go into like the work field and like want to get hired by companies, then having those degrees stands out. Right. Like that was one thing that stand out with me. It's like, man, okay, you have your degree. That means that you're super dedicated. First and foremost, you're super disciplined. You follow through on your, your word with like the commitments that you make to yourself and even more than what you learned at school, because you can learn all of that out of school, like in the day-to-day industry as well, I think, but like just holding that commitment makes you so much more credible. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, kind of a, a I ramp, see it but... both ways and I don't want to like ramp on it, but yeah, that's just kind of, and that's why I lean more so towards like, here's the certifications that I have taken just because when I say like, I'm utilizing what I learned, that's where 99% of my stuff comes from. Yeah, I don't feel like I necessarily, necessarily learned anything that was like mind blowing enough to where I was like, I'm going to utilize this that I didn't learn like through a different program or certification, at least for who I coach, who I want to coach, and just the people that I am interacting with on a day-to-day basis. 
Yeah. So 100% interesting conversation just because I know so many people have so many different perspectives. Besides all of that, we have a Q&A today that we're going to hop into. For all of you who are listening, thanks for listening to our rants. Hopefully you um, you enjoy that. But let's get into some of this nitty-gritty stuff in regards to the questions that I got on social media this last week. And they're all going to be nutrition-based questions. I've got, let's see, I've got one, two, three, four, five questions here. Um, we want to try to keep the podcast around like 45 to 60 minutes max. So if we get through all the questions, we will. If we don't, then we'll... Um, sprinkle those questions into the next week. So um, I put up a Q&A on my stories. Thank you to everybody who asked questions every time that I put those up. Let's just hop into them. So the first one is, why do we not have to worry about carbs and fats as long as we hit our calorie and protein goals for fat loss? I'll let you start, Alex. Yeah. So I like this question and I don't think it's necessarily about totally avoiding carbs and fats that does have their time in place. If you want that maybe like extra 5%, I think it's a lot more so about the people that we're working with. It's such a small detail in like the big picture of what they need. It's just going to, well, one, the results that you get from, let's say, tracking protein, carbs, fats, and calories it's just going to overwhelm them for very little added result compared to just tracking protein and calories. What so do you example- think that, sorry, one question to tack on there, because I think this is a very important piece to drive home on. What do you think the difference in results would be for somebody that's just tracking calories and protein, as opposed to somebody who's tracking calories, proteins, carbs, and fats over like a 12 week cycle? Very, very, very little. I think it's going to matter very little. So as long as you are actually meeting the calorie and protein goal. And I think another important piece is actually training hard during your sessions. If you do those two or three things, that's going to deliver, I think, the foundation of your results. It's just like, how are you eating and how are you training? Assuming that kind of everything else lifestyle-wise is the same. Yeah, very, very little difference between the two. Yeah, I would agree 100%. I honestly don't think that there would be really any difference in the vast majority of people, right? If they're tracking calories and protein versus protein, carbs, and fats, I would argue that the vast majority of people out there are going to see no difference in regards to their results. And so when it comes down to it from just a lifestyle factor and an adherence and consistency factor over the long term, okay, is it going to be easier for me to just track my calories and protein? Or is it going to be easier for me to have to get more technical and like make sure my protein is on point, my carbs are on point, and my fats are on point, as opposed to hitting your protein goal, staying within your calories and letting carbs and fats fall wherever they may? Like you're going to have so much more flexibility in regards to the food choices that you're able to make on a day-to-day basis, that's going to make it much easier for you to be adherent over the long term with your nutrition and not have it feel near as overwhelming um, throughout that process and just add more flexibility into it. The one thing that you do have to get mindful of is that as calories do get lower, 
the one macro that you want to just have a little bit of an understanding of and make sure you're getting enough of outside of your protein is fats. You want to make sure that you're not getting too low in fats over time because that can start to cause issues in hormonally, um, cognitively, energy-wise, just because protein and fats are the essential macronutrients that your body needs just to be able to survive. You don't necessarily have to eat carbohydrates to survive. Um, your body can adapt without them. But if you're not getting protein and you're not getting fats, if you did that for long enough, your body's not going to be able to function. It's going to shut down. And so ensuring that you're getting, for most people, I want to make sure you're getting at least, at least 35 grams of fats for the vast majority. And for most people, like if you're just counting calories and protein, you're going to hit 35 grams of fats relatively easy just because fats are in the majority of foods that you're consuming. Um, but as calories do get lower and somebody's that say they're on like this is ample for everybody say you're down to like 14, 1500 calories and you're already getting relatively lean and you're trying to get to that last little bit. It's like, okay, make sure that, that like you're at least getting 35 grams of fat. This is your protein range. Um, and then like, let's say if you're over that in fats, great. If you're hitting just that 35, that's fine as well. And then just fill the rest in with your carbs from there. And so having that understanding is important, but again, if you're eating 1800 calories a day and that's a deficit for you, you're only counting calories and protein more than likely you're going to be getting plenty of fats just from whatever foods that you choose, but just focus on the calories and protein. Um, and again, it's just going to lead to so much more flexibility, especially if like, if you're going for dinners out, if you want to be able to enjoy a dessert here and there, um, if you want to be able to swap out food options more regularly, it just makes it so much easier in regards to your adherence over the long term. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the way I always explain it to clients is Yes, we still look at carbs. Yes, we still look at fats. We don't aim for a specific number. Just be mindful that you aren't going like total ketosis. Like don't be going zero fat. Don't be going zero carb. Yeah. If you're meeting a baseline, that's the most important thing. Other than that, I don't have calorie or clients aim for a specific amount of carbs and fats really ever. But the one thing I will sometimes add in is like once you've mastered the basics, can we focus on timing those carbs around your pre and post-workout meals? And that's not a specific amount. It's just ensure that we are intaking protein and carbs during those moments. And I think that's something that if you are doing all those things, calories, protein, have carbs around your training sessions, that's going to leave you to be in a very good spot. And if, if you want to get more technical, by all means, go for it. But I've trained very hard and very seriously. And I know, Chaz, you have too. And I know you've gotten competition level lean as a, you know, as have I. And truthfully, like what the difference would have been with like tracking all three macros versus none. Yeah. I don't think there would have been much at all. Yeah. I couldn't agree anymore. All right. Question number two then. How should I adjust calories after a binge? So basically after I, I go way over on calories for a day, how should I adjust calories moving forward if I'm trying to lose body fat? Truthfully, if it was a binge and not like a planned I'm eating more this day, I don't really ever recommend clients do anything different going forth after that because if they just go back to what they were doing before, give it two, three, maybe like four days, and they're going to be right back to where they were prior. Now, if it's someone advanced who like, oh, I plan to eat more, 
and is utilizing like calorie cycling, which is a whole nother podcast topic. You could cycle, but yeah, basic, basic answer short is if it's a binge unintentional, get right back to what you're doing. Same calorie amount, same protein amount. Don't go extra hard in the gym. Don't add in extra cardio and you'll be just fine after the water weight comes off in two, three days. Yeah, I couldn't agree anymore. I think that if you start going down the rabbit hole of having days where you unplan to overeat and it just happens and quote unquote, people these days, in my opinion, a lot of people will call it a binge when really it's maybe like four or five, 600 calories over like a binge. In my opinion, I struggled with binge eating at one point in my life um, about 10 years ago, roughly. And like a binge for me was like a whole pizza and a box of cereal. Like it was like intense, right? Like it was a lot of food. And then afterwards, what would end up happening was like, I feel bad about it. Right. And so what I would do then is I would restrict for the rest of the week. I try to keep calories as low as possible to make up for that binge. And eventually I get to the end of that week. And I just ended up creating the cycle of then going crazy with food once again and having these overly fed states to where I was eating everything and anything because I had felt restricted for the whole week. And once I got something that didn't taste, that tasted really good and like was something that I quote unquote shouldn't have, I couldn't stop myself. And then I would justify it by saying, oh, I'll just do what I did last week and not eat anything through the whole week once again and do a bunch of cardio and train really hard and it'll work out. And what you end up doing is just end up in this cycle and this terrible relationship with food, right? To where it's like this binge restrict, binge restrict. So you binge and then you restrict all week just to make up the progress that you lost from binging and you repeat that process over and over again. So you're working really, really hard just to maintain where you're currently at until you end up in this position where you're like, screw this shit, right? Like this is not getting me anywhere. Like I am exhausted. My relationship with food is terrible. I feel like I can't eat anything in the week. And then I can't stop myself from eating everything on the weekends because I feel like I'm going to go back into that exact same cycle. It just happens over and over again. And it burns you out to the where you're like, I, this just does not work for me whatsoever. And so to break that cycle, you have to get to a point to where, and this is extremely hard to do because if you're in the same mindset that I was in back in the day, um, like when you binge, you feel like you have to restrict to make up that progress that you lost. But the only way to get your place to a point where you stop binging and you quote unquote, heal your relationship with food and get into a better spot mentally when it comes to your nutrition is after those binges is to stop restricting. So just as Alex said, do not go and start restricting calories and go super low to make up that progress that you lost because all that you're doing is triggering yourself to start another binge episode again in the future. And it's extremely hard. You're going to feel super uncomfortable after overeating, just going back to eating a regular amount of calories, the amount of calories that you're supposed to be eating this whole time anyway right? Like you're not going to want to do that. Everything in your body is going to tell you to go back to, to restricting as much as you can. And you're not, it's hard because you don't trust yourself, right? Like the path that you trust at the moment is binge, restrict, binge, restrict, binge, restrict. But to break that, you have to get back to eating a regular amount of calories through the week so that eventually you get to the point to where you're not having those feelings of, of deprivation, of being deprived and not getting to eat anything that triggers those binges again in the first place. And you might do that the first week. Let's say you, you binged over a weekend or whatever it may be, and then you start eating more through the week. Well, once that weekend comes around, like that doesn't guarantee that you're not going to overeat again, 
right? We're still having to break that habit and that cycle. But over time, as you continue to eat regularly and eat at a healthy number of calories for whatever your goal is, um, you're going to slowly start to break down that relationship and those binges will stop because you're not feeling as deprived through the week and you're eating more food. And so I sympathize with you for, for anybody out there who's going through this at the moment. It is super hard to get through. What I would argue more than anything, if if you're dealing with this and you're dealing with binges, at the moment, as much as you want it to be, your goal should not be fat loss. Your goal needs to be just getting to a good baseline mentally when it comes to food. Because if you don't have that, you are never going to to be able to be adherent and consistent enough in the long term to create progress. And even if you do, chances are you're probably going to lose that progress in the long term. So coming back to a place to where, okay, my sole goal right now is not to lose fat, is not to to better my body composition. My goal is just to create a better mental energy, mental focus around food. And so bringing your calories up to a maintenance level and eating more than you're probably comfortable with, if if you're stuck and eating in calorie deficit and low calories, and that's what's bringing those binges on, you've been doing it chronically for a long time. Like I did, you have to accept that, okay, I'm going to increase calories. I'm going to focus on getting stronger in the gym. I'm going to put this energy that I'm putting into my body to good use to train really hard, to get stronger, to progress my lifts um, and enjoy that aspect of things and kind of create a goal towards your training as opposed to your nutrition for a while and increase those calories to allow your, your leptin hormones, your ghrelin hormones, everything that controls your, your hunger and your satiety between your brain and your stomach to get back to a normal, healthy place to where you're eating more. And I think if you just commit to that over one, one to two months, I think that you'll see drastic improvements in your mentality around food. And if you stick with that long enough and allow your hormones to level out, allow your mindset to slow down a little bit and, and create a little bit more balance for yourself. Um, you're going to set yourself up in such a better position moving forward to break that cycle, to be able to then potentially go back into a deficit in the future and actually be successful with it because you've been able to break that cycle and get into that better place mentally um, that puts you in more of a long-term perspective with your your body composition and your relationship with your training and nutrition as opposed to such a short-term like trying to equal out calories on a weekly basis at such extreme measures, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I have found, and just even recently with a client of mine, kind of came to this realization. I don't like to tell clients just like, hey, here's what you need to realize, but kind of just almost like walk them into that light so they can kind of have that aha moment themselves. Yeah. But she had kind of lived this lifestyle of for me to lose body fat, I need to keep eating lower and lower and lower. And it was actually really interesting because where we started, we ended up like lowering down from kind of thinking like, oh, things are looking good or kind of like, okay, like things have looked good so far. Let's kind of, you know, kick it up a notch for lack of better terms. But like, as we lowered the calories, progress actually got worse. And it was kind of like, what's going on here? And so a few weeks, few weeks went by and it was kind of like, okay, like let's hop on a call, let's troubleshoot. And on that call, she was like, here's what happens. When I eat less calories, I'm not actually eating less calories. She just has to quote unquote, like sneak in more calories. Yeah. So she'll eat and track 1500, but then she's like, oh, I don't got to count the handful of this. Oh, well, if I only track three, but I had four, it's not really going to matter. 
So she actually saw better results eating more, less binging, less BLTs, bite, licks, tastes, all those things that kind of get in the way, but you may not realize. And she was like, I actually see better results, like you were saying, at the higher calories because I'm actually being consistent for the first time. So on paper, it looks like you're eating more. And in reality, you're actually probably eating multiple hundred calories less than what you were at quote unquote 1300 calories or 1400, whatever that set number is for you. So yeah, definitely, definitely just kind of, you have to see where the root cause is kind of coming from. And a lot of times it is just drastic under eating. And so just to kind of back up what you said, a lot of these people don't need deficits. They don't need to focus on restriction. Just focus on creating something sustainable and you're going to like where you end up much, much better down the road. Yeah. You're, you're going to build a foundation, right? You're going to build a, a foundation of adherence and consistency inside of your nutrition. That is the biggest key to your long-term success. Right, like anybody can diet down on. Let's say you're truly eating 1,200 calories daily for two months and lose a bunch of weight, but like if you felt so deprived through that process, and at the end of it, your hunger levels are like extremely high, you feel deprived in regards to food. Well, at the end of that process, if you don't have a, a like a, a diet plan for after the diet anyway, you're just going to end up falling back into old habits because what you were doing felt like such a a deprivation to to your lifestyle and and your needs that you'll end up doing what you're doing before and end up in the same position with the same amount of weight that you're at before, if not more a lot of the time as well. And so, um, that's a, yeah, a very big key. And it kind of leads right into the next question that we'll hop into, which is how many calories is too low when it comes to a calorie deficit, right? Like you see online all the time, especially fitness influencers and stuff. And even I posted this kind of thing back in the day. Um, my mind's changed a little bit on it at this point. Um, but like, 1200 calories is too low. 1300 calories is too low. You should never eat this amount of calories. This is how many calories of, uh, it, that's good for a toddler or a baby, but not for you. Right. And so like you see those arbitrary numbers thrown out there, but what, what's your opinion on, on that, Alex? Like, what are you paying attention to, to understand if somebody's calories are actually too low for their personal situation when it comes to fat loss? Yeah. So I think oftentimes a lot of people kind of just fixate on that 1200 calorie number as being too low just because that's what's kind of used to market and kind of target target different clients um yeah and that's even myself included i've used that in my own content and i'll admit to that but my views have changed kind of over the years just kind of realizing there is no one set number that's going to be too low for a specific person. Some people can go more aggressive. Some need kind of like a slower, more sustainable approach. I think in the end, it's just realizing whatever number you are eating for the deficit, that is not where you eat for the rest of the year or for the rest of your life. So I could diet on a thousand calories. Would I lose weight very quickly? And what, you know, would I lose body fat very quickly? Yes. But as long as I kind of understand the pros and cons of it, should I choose to do that? What if I only do it for three weeks? Is that bad? No, probably not. If I do it for three months, yeah, I'm probably going to start noticing it affecting sleep, hunger, recovery, energy, stress, 
just mood, irritability, all the things that we don't want. So instead of a specific number, I would say once you start noticing those types of things in your life getting affected, you're probably too low or have been at that number for too long. Yeah, I would agree 100%. One, one question that I'll um, bring up as well. So what's the la- what's the lowest number of calories that you've had a client on before? Between 1,000 and 1,100, but I will insert for the people listening, she was either 411 or right at five foot in like 112 or 113 pounds. So that's why it's so important not to generalize because what yeah. someone who is 411112 needs is not going to be the same thing for a five foot seven female who's 150, 160 pounds. There's just so much nuance that can go into that question. But yeah, that's the lowest thousand, eleven hundred um for a short period of time just to kind of lose those last five pounds, as everyone says. Yeah, I have a girl right now who's trying to get to, she's um, much more advanced, trained for a very long time, has a good amount of muscle on her body, has been through cuts, has been through surpluses and maintenances in the um, in in her past experiences. And so she understands the process and she's about 115 pounds right now. And she's only right around like five foot. She might be, she's between five foot to five two. Anyway, she's trying to get to very advanced levels of leanness. And I have her right now at 1100 calories on the Monday through Friday. And then I believe it's 1300 calories on Saturdays and Sundays, but those calories are very low, right? Like looking at people on social media, they'll be like, nobody should be eating that amount of food for her, her specific situation and what her body is actually responding to, to get her losing, to get to that goal. I don't have a choice, but to either bring her calories to those levels or force her to sit on a piece of cardio um, machine for, for one to two hours every single day, which doesn't work for her because she has a, a very busy lifestyle. She works a desk job and, mm-hmm. and has a very busy career. And so there are pay- trade-offs, right? And another important thing to bring up with that is there's an exit plan. Our goal is not to sit at 1100 calories to 1300 calories per day for months and months on end. We have a specific exit plan. I believe it's the second week into November to where we're starting her reverse diet, regardless if she ends up getting all the way to that level of leanness that she's wanting to get to. I believe she's wanting to get to like around like 108-ish, 109 in her weight. If we get there, um, amazing. If we don't get there, most likely we'll start to increase at that point. But one other thing that you have to pay attention to, and Alex brought this up, when it comes to how low um, is too low when it comes to a deficit, this is very, very different for everybody. And this is why you have to be paying attention to biofeedback, like Alex mentioned before, right? Like I can have, I have a client I can think of one right now who who she weighs around 230 pounds and we have her down at 1500 calories per day at the moment which I would argue like that's pretty aggressive for a lady of of that weight to be at calories you generally don't have to be that low in calories to see weight loss but one thing that I know about her is one for her to see progress a little bit faster is much more motivating. And for whatever reason, she's more consistent when calories are a little bit lower because she's seeing a rate of loss at a faster rate that helps keep her pushing because she, as most people are satisfied, is satisfied when she's losing and that keeps her adherence level higher. But let's say that we were doing that and her hunger was extremely high. Her energy was very low. 
her mood um, she was more irritable. She was much more stressed out. She wasn't sleeping as well. Um, if all of that was significant and affecting her, then I would know that that amount of calories for her specific situation probably isn't smart because we're running her body into the ground and it's just not going to be sustainable for the amount of fat that she has to lose. Right. And so then we would look at losing at a little bit of a slower rate on a little bit of higher calories to keep her biofeedback in a better position so that it is sustainable and she is able to stay consistent without burning out as quickly. But in her situation for now, biofeedback is all well. Um, sleep is good. Energy is good. Her mood's okay. Her hunger levels aren't affecting her too much and her consistency is high. So we're going to take advantage of that for as long as we can. As that biofeedback starts to get poor, well, then we'll get to a point where it's like, Hey, we need to take a diet break. And we're probably going to have to, to increase, get you back up to a maintenance level, allow your, your, your mindset to stabilize, allow your hormones to stabilize, allow all that biofeedback to stabilize before diving back into a deficit. And then we'll look at that in the future. Did you like the rate of progress? Are you okay with having to take diet breaks along the way? because we are more aggressive or would you rather go at a little bit of a slower pace with a little bit of higher calories to where your biofeedback isn't running into the ground quite as quickly and you can stay in the deficit for a longer period of time. So there's just trade-offs on both sides and understanding people's different types of of personalities, what they're going to be able to respond to best, what their mindset is going to agree with and what it's not going to agree with. And then also seeing how their body actually agrees um, to what you're doing with them is important as well. I have other clients that they have a decent amount of weight to lose as well, but we have to go at a little bit of a slower pace because if we go too low in calories, like we have for that 1500, even for them, they get way too hungry. They feel way too restricted and then they aren't consistent. So it's easier to keep them losing on a higher number of calories over the long term. And so Knowing that difference for yourself and paying attention to your biofeedback markers throughout your deficit and understanding how your body is actually responding um, as opposed to just how your weight is responding on the scale is a huge key to understand if, if where you're at is too aggressive, not aggressive enough, or you're kind of in that sweet spot of where you should be. And then always understanding that the deficit is just one phase, right? You always have to have an exit plan from the deficit to bring yourself back up to a maintenance level to be able to sustain that progress long-term. So there's a lot of nuance to that. We can honestly do a full podcast on, on this topic as well, I think. Um, but I think that that's basically the the general foundation and how you need to go into thinking about where your calories should be and how aggressive you should be in fat loss. Do you feel like I missed anything there? No, I think that makes for a really good recap, just kind of assessing where are you starting? How aggressive do you want to be? What can you handle? Track your data to some extent, take progress pictures, take measurements, um, to do your weigh-ins and then just track your biofeedback. Am I sleeping six, seven? I mean, with parents, it's different, but given the best they can, are you sleeping seven, eight hours a night? Are your hunger levels typically, you know, pretty stable and given towards the end of a deficit, like it's going to kind of end up there mostly regardless, but just even setting the intention beforehand. I think the most important thing that we've talked about is just saying like, here's where I'm starting and then set a finish line goal of here's where I'm going to be, like here's where I'm going to finish, regardless of if I'm like fully there or not. And like, yeah, you have some wiggle room, but don't turn a 12-week diet into a 24-week diet because you haven't been consistent enough. Yeah. Just be consistent and you're going to get that flexibility later on. And that's where coaching is 
I, I think that's a pretty good breakdown of coaching right there on the nutrition aspect, right? Because everything we just mentioned there is very, very hard to do for yourself without a bias and make logical and correct decisions that are going to be a, a net positive impact on you in the long term, as opposed to you being so just fixated on the short term result that you're trying to create. Right. When you bring somebody in with an unbiased, like I, I mentioned before, I, I seem to, to work with a decent amount of other coaches on their training and their nutrition. It's not that they don't know all these things that I'm coaching them through. They just understand that it's very hard for yourself to take the bias out of it and make logical decisions. That's going to set you up for the best success long-term health wise and body composition wise. And so then bringing somebody else in with that type of experience, even if you understand it just gives you that peace of mind of like, okay, I cannot put my thought process into this. I can just follow what I need to follow and be in the structure and the day-to-day grind of it. And I have this trust in this person that they're going to lead me to that end result. One, in a sustainable manner, um, but two, in a in an efficient manner, in a, in a timeframe that's reasonable to actually get there as well. And so, yeah, I think that's a, a very valuable piece of coaching. Honestly, that's why I still outsource the majority of, of my training that I do. That's why it sounds like you outsource um, your training as well. And, um, so it's something to to keep in mind, but I think we hammered that one home pretty well. Let's move on to, we have two more questions that we'll kind of buzz through. Um, is it better to have my protein shake before or after I lift weights? Ooh, I don't know how to answer this one. I think it's, (laughs) it's really just personal preference because you could argue that having the protein shake prior I mean, a liquid calorie is probably going to be a bit easier digesting. You need some proteins, you need some carbs prior to training, but you're also going to benefit more or you're going to benefit equally as well, I'd say, post-training from protein shake and carbs. So it's not about the protein shake in specific. It's just make sure you have a protein source, both pre and post-training, where it's coming from just personal preference. I personally like my shakes after, but I know some people who like this, the quick absorption rate. So they do on pre-workout. So it's yeah, for me, personal preference. Yeah. I would agree 100%. I think that people put like this, this value into protein shakes around workouts and think that it's much more important than it actually is. And that there's something specific about a protein shake and the timing of it. That's going to dramatically enhance your results one way or the other. It's going to hurt your results or, or benefit your results, um, depending on like when you time it, making sure that it's a protein shake. And at the end of the day, regardless if you're having a protein shake or some eggs or what, whatever, pro, or some ground beef, whatever that protein source is that, that you want, that your body's going to digest it the same in regards to how it's going to benefit your progress and in regards to hitting your protein goals by the end of the day. Right. So there's nothing special about drinking a protein shake pre or post workout. Now there are some different scenarios that you can find yourself in. Um, like for myself personally, for the last six months or so, I've been getting up in the morning and training first thing. Now, do I think that that's optimal? Like 
I think that it's probably a little bit better to train a little bit later into the day, like late morning or maybe early afternoon after you're fed and you've gotten some food into your body and you've gotten some carbohydrates, you've gotten some protein into your body. Um, I think you're going to be more energized in that regard for the vast majority of people, but there's also scheduling conflicts as well. Like for me, okay, so I have a lot of work that I have to get done every single day with clients, with content, with, with backend business type of stuff. I'm a dad, I'm a husband. We've got a lot of family stuff going on on a day-to-day basis as well, running my daughter around to, to different things. And I've just found that like, it's easiest for me to stay consistent training first thing in the morning. And for me to try to eat something before I train, I don't really have enough time to be able to digest it. Sure. I could get in like a quick protein shake before I train or something, but then I'm still kind of digesting it as I start my training program or my training session for the day. And I just don't feel as well. I actually feel better getting up, just having some electrolytes, a good amount of water in my system, um, and then going into my training session. And so for my particular situation, I'm not having, I'm fasted going into that training session it's pretty dang important in my opinion to get some protein in with within probably around like 30 to 60 minutes post workout. I don't want to finish my training session and stay fasted for another 2 3 4 hours uh, when my muscles are just starting that recovery process and not have any protein in my system, not refill myself with any um glycogen from carbohydrates. One I'm just going to feel kind of shitty probably, right? Like I'm going to feel, I had that this morning. I trained legs this morning. I did squats, RDLs. Um, and afterwards, like I felt kind of shaky. I didn't feel very good. It was a heavy training session. I'm getting to the, the last end of my block. So everything's being pushed pretty hard with a, a decent amount of volume for what I'm accustomed to. got done. I was shaky, like had to lay down and, and sit down for a second. I tried to eat some food and didn't even feel that good. Like trying to eat and had to like take a break in between just because I think my blood sugars were off. But the point here is if you're training fasted in the mornings, it's probably a good idea to get some food in and especially some protein within 30, 60 minutes, at least after your training session. If you're somebody who's training in the late mornings to the afternoons, as long as you're getting a decent protein source in one to two hours before your training session, ideally some good carbohydrates as well, but we're just talking on the, the protein aspect of things. If you get 30, 40, 50 grams of protein in a couple hours or less before your training session, your body's still going to be digesting that protein into after your training session. And it's not going to be very important to have to get um, a protein source in within like one to two hours post-training. You're probably good to give it three, four hours if you absolutely have to. Is that optimal? Potentially not. Like if you can try to get it in, that's great. If you can't, it's not going to make like this massive difference in your results. And so understanding just going into that training session, okay, like am I fed? Do I have some protein in my system? If great, don't be so worried about like getting protein in right after your training session. If you're going into a training session fasted, probably a very good idea to, to get some protein, get some carbohydrates back into your system um, relatively quickly post-training, just one, to, to help start that recovery process and to not run into some of the same situations that I ran into this morning where I, I felt like I was coming down with the flu and was potentially going to barf at any second. So, so yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, one of my favorite terms as of late, I think I adopted it sometime this year and I don't know who I got it from or if I even got it from somebody, but it's the quote of optimal versus practical. We could sit here and harp on like what's optimal. Um, I'm laughing because of the Zoom thing here. I just can, we'll speak on this next podcast, but it's basically optimal versus practical. You could sit there and try to find all the things that are the most like optimal in terms of training and nutrition and morning routine and lifestyle and all this stuff, but you have to figure out 
what works for you and what actually makes sense for you. And going back to what we talked about earlier in the podcast, what can you stay consistent with? If you know, you're waking up at 5.30 a.m. to work out, you're probably not going to wake up at 4 a.m. to have a meal. So then prioritize the post-workout meal. If you have a little bit extra time, you have 30, 45 minutes, maybe grab a little bag of fruit snacks for some just something, some carbs to have in your system. Is it going to be perfect? You know, there's, I know the whole Rice Krispie thing went around like the best pre-workout, like the yeah. Rice Krispie treat or whatever it was. Now it's um, honey and now it's honey and salt is what I'm I'm seeing go around yeah, again for, for this year. Um, yeah. But yeah, optimal versus practical. Find what's practical for you. Find what makes sense. And it's realized like there's always going to be more than you can do, but we have to kind of find that balance of like, I can do more, but when is it going to start actually having my results go the opposite way of what I want due to the stress? the stress that I'm putting myself through. Yeah. 100% man. I couldn't agree anymore. Um, like Alec mentioned, our zoom issue has been having issues this whole podcast. So if you guys are noticing anything, I apologize for that. We did have one more question, but I think that we'll, we'll save that for, um, the next nutrition Q and a that we have. And again, for any of you who have questions, if you've listened to this podcast today and, and like we brought something up and you're still maybe a little bit confused on something, or you'd like more clarification on it, there's always a link down below. If you're listening on to this on iTunes or Spotify, there's a link that says that has a place where you can go to ask questions, um, for the podcast specifically. And you can go in, type in your questions there, ask anything that you have from this podcast or anything that might just be on your mind. Um, and then that will directly shoot to my inbox and I'll get those and I'll uh, personally send you back an answer, um, helping clarify anything for you via email, as well as we'll potentially bring those, those questions onto the show. If we feel like they're, they're broad questions that can help a good amount of the listeners that are listening as well. So you're always more than welcome to do that. And for you, Alex, um, as for closing remarks, man, like where can people find you? Um, if they want more information on anything or have specific questions for you with anything that you might have, have brought up, where can people go to to get more on you? I'll say Instagram is going to be your best bet. Um, I have found it easier to actually mispronounce my name just to kind of easier spelling wise. So it's Alex underscore Johansson. That's the English version of pronouncing my last name, Johansson. If I say Johansson, <laughs> everyone thinks it's like a Y. So it's A L. E X underscore J O H A N N S S O N. If anyone actually remembers that without having to listen back, I'll give you a little award or something. But yeah, long last name, Alex underscore Johansson on Instagram. That's where you can find me. I'll, um, his last name's always confuses the crap out of me as well. Whenever I have to, to write it down, I always mess up. Is it, it's N N S S, right? Yeah. So everyone says two N's two S's. That's how they remember it. And I figured on the phone when I say Johansson, everyone's like, yo, like that's like a Y. So I just started saying Johansson. And I'm like, then people are, are like, oh, okay. Like that's the like American Scarlett version. Johansson. Like I know how to spell Johansson. Oh, yeah. It's just, so yeah, it makes sense more that way, but that is not, don't like be calling me Johansson. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll just link it down below so that it's, it's much easier for you guys to find it. But, and then as always, um, as you guys know, if you have the time, I would be really appreciative if you could 
go down below and leave the podcast a star rating of whatever you think that it deserves, as well as a written review. In regards to podcasting and how we're able to reach more people and help them with their own training and nutrition, as well as with their mindsets, it all comes down to the algorithm and the algorithm is dictated by ratings and reviews. So if you can leave it as a star rating, as well as if you have a little bit of time to leave it a written review, we are going to start up the giveaways that we used to do with the podcast to where um, each month, however many written reviews are down below, you guys will be entered into a drawing to be able to receive um, some lost and lifting swag, so to speak. So a t-shirt will get you um, some shaker cups, some stickers, different things like that. So if you'll leave the podcast a written review and a star rating down below, I would really appreciate it just because it helps push this out to more people and we can continue to, to bring this type of content to you guys. So again, I appreciate y'all for listening in. I hope you're having an amazing day and we'll chat with you very soon.